Every family has a culture. If you, if you come into my house at, at Chandra Knight's house, there's a culture in our house. If I showed up to your house, there's a culture in your house. And what I know is this, that we exist as a church to curate environments where people can encounter Jesus. Why? Because I believe that based on what Scripture tells me, the biggest encounter that you need in your life is with Jesus Christ. Not with our building, not with me, not with whatever's going on, that we need an encounter with Jesus in our life. Okay? So we exist to curate these environments where we can encounter Jesus. Where Jesus is our center here at Movement Church, you're going to see us. Where Jesus is our center. Where people are our aim and passion is our approach. And you're going to hear and see these things as part of the culture here in our house. And when this happens, we see the culture of Jesus on display. So we're going to look at John chapter 2, verse 13 through 17 this morning. And we're going to read this, and we're going to discover some important pieces of the culture of Jesus that he's showing us as his people to carry. I'm going to read this really quickly, and if you have a good old-fashioned Bible, do you know that this is one of the most sought-after books to read right now by culture? True story. And did you know that a physical Bible over a digital device that has Scripture on it, a physical Bible is the number one most sought-after ways to read the Bible. Isn't that, in, isn't that interesting? In all of our digital age. So I'm going to read from the good old-fashioned Bible, okay? And this is what it says. It says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes, and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and he turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, why does he got to pick on the dude selling doves? Okay. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then his disciples, the guys who were following him, then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, specifically Psalm 69. It said, passion for God's house will consume me. Passion for God's house will consume me. Now today, family, we're going to talk about what's the take on giving. What's the take on giving? And what I believe here at the Movement Church is we believe generosity is our honor, and that is born from a passion for God's house. It's born from a passion for God's house. And we're going to focus on just two types of heart postures existing in God's house that Jesus just addressed. He just addressed these two heart postures. One of the heart postures is the, the heart of a consumer, and the other heart posture is of a consumed heart. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity for us to join together in your house as part of a family that carries a culture. And today, God, we want to learn and glean from your word what it is that your son Jesus is telling us and is showing us when he enters into the temple. The heart of a consumer heart that is consumed. And God, I'm asking today that everyone, no matter where they're at today, that their heart would be consumed. One more percent, even if 
percent than when they walked in the door. We thank you in Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Can everyone give the worship team a huge round of applause? Thank you guys for what you do. Listen, there's going to be a couple things that we're going to talk about today. There's going to be some, some, uh, some activity behind me. Don't be distracted, okay? Don't be distracted. Um, number one, we're going to talk about this, this juxtaposition between being consumer and consumed in the house of God, okay? And uh, number one, I want to say consumer hearts, consumer hearts offer what is left. Consumed hearts offer what is best. I'm going to say this again. Consumer hearts offer what is left. Consumed hearts offer what is best. If you go anywhere in our church, you're going to see this value that we have. Generosity is our honor, and this is the scripture that's attached to this value. It says, Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part, the best part of everything you produce. Now, I'm going to break this down very quickly, and I want to preface what I'm about to preach, the entirety of what I'm about to preach. There is a message called Generosity is Our Honor on our YouTube that I preached just prior to when I went to Utah and I was in an accident, okay? It was actually the last message that I ever preached before I was in an accident. Generosity is our honor. In that message... If you want to really dig into some deeper foundation of what it is that I'm preaching from today, go watch that message on our YouTube channel. But for today's sake, I want to talk about the heart of consumers versus the heart of those that are consumed. And some of the things that I'm going to talk about are going to reflect back and are built on the foundation of generosity as our honor from that message. Are you with me? Okay. Okay. So it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Let's talk about what wealth is. Uh, and, and I broke this down to a greater degree in that message I just referred to. But for today's sake, I have to give you some definition of some of these words. Uh, this idea, honor the Lord with your wealth. Okay, uh, wealth typically in our culture is, is, is considered what we have in excess. So if I asked you today, how many of you are wealthy? You would base it on, well, wealth is when I have above and beyond excess. Okay? Wealth is money that just doesn't end. Wealth is, and you can fill in some blanks, right? We could say Elon Musk. We could say Warren Buffett. We could say Bill Gates. We could say Mark Zuckerberg. Okay, are you with me? These guys are what? Wealthy. But the biblical definition for wealth is everything of substance you have has nothing to do with dollar amount. Honor, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the substance of everything that you have. As if it's enough. This is the key. Your wealth, my wealth, everything we have is enough. Honor the Lord with your enough. And I want to tell you something. I've lived a few years to know this. How I view my wealth, my substance of what I have, if it's enough, it's based on my perspective. The world wants to make wealth live in your excess. The Bible wants to make your wealth live in God's enough for you. 
It says to bring your best. The best is the principle of the first. So to understand this, in the Bible, God talks about all the way back to this guy Abraham. There's this dude Abraham. And God says, I want you to bring your first, your best. So he asked Abraham to bring his son Isaac, his best. He says, uh, Abraham then tithes to this guy Melchizedek. He gives 10%. This, this idea of best is your first. This is, this is where we get, in, in, in biblical terms, we get first fruits. There's this term, first fruits. And where do we see the principle of first fruits given to us as followers of Jesus? It's in the tithe. It's our first 10%. This is the principle of best. So we see in Proverbs, honor the Lord with your enough, with what you've been provided with, with everything that the substance of, of, who, of all of your material belongings and bring the best First fruits begins with the tithe, the first 10%. And it's of everything you produce. It's not of, you know, I, I have a job and then I have 17 side hustles. I don't personally. But like this is, this is the society we live in, right? We have a whole generation that their whole ability to bring income into their home is predicated on all the side hustles they have. Right? Generations before, it was like, get a job, work there for 30 or 40 years and get a pension. That doesn't exist. My generation was like, hey. Younger generations are like, we just need a lot of side hustles. Especially if you live in California. I'm, I'm going to be, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being fair. This, it, it's expensive, right? But you know that God still has given you and I enough? Okay. It's everything we produce. This is why I said what I just said, to say this. It's the revenue. This word, everything you produce, it's the revenue. It's all the money you bring in. It's not just your main job, and we leave our 17 side hustles out of what we bring to God. We bring all of it, our, our best, our first, from everything we produce. Employee, business owner, doesn't matter, okay? Everything we produce. And, it, and, and what this word means, it's awesome. Uh, in, in the Hebrew, it, it means your revenue or crops as determined by season. Just to be fair, there are certain seasons where what you produce is more than other seasons. You're like, man, I, I remember back in the 90s, some of you, okay, some of you, you're going to be like, I was born in the 90s. So I'm speaking to those of you who were like career, job, businesses in the 90s, okay? You're like, back in the 90s, man, I was making, okay, I was making a lot of money. Today, I'm not making so much money. Or how about this? Last year, I wasn't doing well, but this year, I'm doing well, or vice versa. What is this showing you and I, the truth of this passage? That you, there are going to be crops that, you, that God allows you to produce as your provision that are going to differ from season to season. That doesn't change the principle of you and I bringing our first fruits. Okay? So it's this principle of bringing first fruits in the 10%. But I, I, I want to encourage you and tell you that you're no more or no less loved by God or saved by God. If you're like, hey, I'm not bringing 10% right now to God's house. We should be in pursuit. But you're no more or less loved. 
Like you're not more saved because you bring a higher percentage than the person next to you. In fact, if we don't watch it, we just may be more arrogant. Because somewhere in our mindset, like we have to be like this is a, okay, this is what I'm saying. This is a heart issue. Tithing is a heart condition. Tithing aligns our heart. Why does why does God from the beginning of scripture to the very end, Old New Testament, okay? We see the principle of this tithe. Go back to the message that I preached and I explain all that, okay? We see this. Why? Why is Jesus, why did Jesus talk more about money in, in the New Testament than faith? True story. Why? Because he knew that it aligned our hearts, okay? So where I am consumed... It means that God has my whole heart. And the way you know that God has my whole heart is by where I place my treasure. So it says in Luke 12, 34, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Okay? So God knows our money is the most direct indication of what our heart is consumed by. God knows our money is the most direct indication way. It's the, it's the most direct picture into what our heart is consumed by. I want to know what my heart's consumed by. I just need to look at where my money goes. That, I, now here, if, if I didn't believe in Jesus, I would still subscribe to that. If I was a financial planner and sitting with you, I would simply be able to look at your bank statements and tell you what you value most. Okay? And God knew this. So he wants us to be aligned. When passion has consumed us for God's house, we bring our best to God's house rather than what's left over. A consumer brings what's left over. Consumed hearts bring what's best, and that's first. So the biggest adjustment sometimes in my own life is like God's like, hey, I, I, want, I want your first. I don't want you to spend your money how you want to, and then you're like, I have 17 cents left, God. I'll give you 17 cents. See, the, see the, I could be 17 cents, or I could say $17 million. The issue isn't the money. The issue is my heart. I'm not bringing my best. I'm bringing what's left. A consumer... Brings what's left. Consumed hearts that are passionate about God's house bring what's best. And I love that when we bring our best to God's house, it positions us to share God's best with others. That's what I was just talking about. Like, we were able, last week, we were able to bless a mama who just got diagnosed with cancer in a, in a, in a span of days. Resource, money was given to be able to bless her, to bring things into her home that she needed. She's struggling. She's having a hard time. When you and I bring our best, we're able to share God's best with others. And I love the fact that Jesus is the perfect reality of God bringing his best to us by bringing us his first. God brought his son, his first. This principle is shown even through the salvation that Jesus Christ brings us. 
We, are cons- we, the movement church, are a consumed house who bring our best by bringing our first. We bring our best by bringing our first. Number two, consumer hearts wear a poverty lens. Consumer hearts wear a poverty lens. Consumed hearts wear a peace lens. Jesus decides he's going to pick on these guys who are selling doves. Out of all of the men who are selling things, he turns over the money exchanging tables. Do, do, do you know, okay, this, this, is, this is my opinion, commentary by Pat. Why did, why did Jesus turn over the money tables where there was an exchange happening? Because his house wasn't made for an exchange. It was made to change. When we come into God's house, it, it, the creation of what happens here, why we do what we do is so that our lives will be changed. Not for an exchange. Okay? So Jesus goes over, and the, and the second person that they denote is this people selling doves. So then going over to the people who sold doves, Jesus is like, I'm on you dove sellers, Okay? Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. So let me tell you, the people who sold doves, this is what they represent. People peddling peace that passes away. Can I just be super transparent with you today? There are too many people selling you and I in the marketplace. Peace. Telling us this is what we need to feel certain, safe, secure, satisfied. And I'm telling you something. This is what I've learned. No matter what it is that you're pouring your money into, if it is not the kingdom of God and the assurance of his provision, that peace will pass away. I felt really peaceful. And then I woke up in a hospital. I can only speak from my experience. I'm not saying that you have to go to Utah and get hit by a car and almost die so that you can understand this. But I'm saying to you as your pastor, I'm going to utilize the event to help explain to you the peace that I realized when I woke up that I was missing. But you're a pastor. I don't care. I'm human. We think performing at a high level is going to bring peace. No, it's not. Peace in God's assurance of your provision is the only thing giving you certainty and satisfaction. Um, so, so here's what I know. Consumers are insecure, unsatisfied, and live in constant uncertainty of having enough. Con- you want me to say that again? Consumers are insecure, unsatisfied, and they live in constant uncertainty of having enough. By and large, to be fair, America is built on consumerism, consumers. If we just keep buying, somehow that's satisfying us. And I just want to tell you something. It's not. It's not bringing security. There's nothing certain that we're given from it. So a consumer lives in the never enough. 
This is called the spirit of poverty. The spirit of poverty. Now, I'm going to break this down very quickly. Sit tight. The spirit of poverty. What is it? Where did it come from? I just said what it was. This is where it came from. Satan got Adam and Eve to partner with the spirit of poverty. This began back in the garden, Genesis 3. So here's what happened. They were convinced that they didn't have enough. Satan says, hey, uh, you can't eat from this tree. Is that, what, is that what God said? You don't have enough knowledge. You don't have enough. Even though you live in a reality of abundance and provision, living in the presence of God, you don't have enough. So for you to have enough because you lack, because you, because you have a poor mentality, you just need to take on provision on your own. Eat this. Okay, are you with me? The spirit of poverty has now entered into humanity. We were born into this. Assure your own provision. It's never enough. The, the, I was listening to an interview to, with these, this multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And they said to him, What's the best, like, can you remember, like, what's the best million that you ever earned? And you know what he said? The next million that I'll earn. If God is a giver, God is a giver. It's his character and nature. Then fallen humanity are takers by nature. So no matter how much we have, we are rarely content. This is the spirit of poverty. You can have money, multimillionaire. You can have money, live in the richest country in the world. You can have money, define that. I don't know what it is. But at the same time, you can live in poverty because of your attitude toward money. You know, if my stupid boss would just pay me more money, I'm just, okay, you don't, you don't want me to be transparent and vulnerable. All right, this is literally, right, if I just, you know, if there was just more money than month, I'm telling, dude, no. You know what I know about life? Man, I remember my first job. I made $3.65 an hour. They gave me, they gave, they gave me a, a raise because I was working in the middle of the night at the Ralph's in Oceanside. I was a box boy ripping down boxes as they stocked shelves. So they were like, you're working at night, so we want to reward you. $4.25 an hour. And I, and I worked with a bunch of meth heads that come to find out was like one of the biggest drug dealers in Oceanside selling meth and wanted to get me to take meth so I could be better at my job ripping up boxes for $4.25 an hour growing up in Oceanside. Welcome to the hood. It's the O. Only if you're from there, you get what I'm saying. Pastor Jeff, thank you. Preach. I'm preaching to you right now, buddy. Our attitude toward money. You know, you know, like, you fast forward, people make way more money than $4.25, but we still don't have enough. If I, can just go, if I can just get that job that pays me X, I'll have enough. No, you won't. 
If we can't learn to live with an attitude in the enough today, you'll make more money and guess what will happen? We spend it. The average American lives on 108% of their income. 108. Consumers, the 8% that they live over the 100 is on credit. We're making other people's dreams. <laughs> okay. Remember, honor the Lord with your wealth, with your everything as it is enough. So we can never bring our best unless we cross this great divide between the poverty mentality and the assurance of God's provision. It doesn't matter how much money we make. I, I can think poorly and be a billionaire. This isn't a money issue. This is a heart issue. There's no freedom in what I described. There's zero freedom in that. I'm bound, unsatisfied, insecure, uncertainty. You can only experience the blessing of peace when you experience God's blessing as your provider. That's the only time you're going to get that. Listen, God blesses us with his son, Jesus. I have a Man, I give my life to Jesus. That's a blessing. But did you know there's added blessing on top of that? There is a blessing of peace that we miss if we hear the word. That's what we're talking about today. God's word. Jesus, we hear this word and we don't obey it. You're not cursed. You're just not living in the everything. The blessing of the everything. And it says... In Luke 11, 28, but even more blessed, but even more blessed, but even more blessed. That means there's more blessing on top of the blessing of salvation. But even more blessed are all who what? Hear the word of God and do what? Put it into practice. I just don't know why. I, I just, I'm dealing with all these things. Are you putting kingdom of God, house of God, financial principles in practice in your life. By the way, most amazing financial institutions, all of their wisdom on how to handle finances are all predicated on the Bible's principles of money. We are never poor when we are rich in Jesus Christ. Number three, consumer hearts are compelled by profit. Consumed hearts are compelled by passion. This is the New King James Version of the same passage I just read, verse 17. It says, then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal, that word zeal, passion. I'm going to break this word down a little bit more in a second. Zeal for your house has eaten me up, consumed me, has eaten me up. Zeal, this word zeal, um, it says ardor in embracing, pursuing, defending anything. Zeal in behalf of, for a person or a thing. Uh, this word ardor, I was like, what does this word mean? 
means enthusiasm or passion. This is why in some translations it says passion for God's house. Passion for God's house. But listen, enthusiasm or passion, an eagerness, a fire, an intensity, an enthusiasm. How many of us are like, man, I have a fire burning in me. I am devoted. I am eager to show up to church. And when Pastor Pat gets up or someone gets up and they're like, we're going to bring our best. We're like, shout that dude down. We are enthusiastic and passionate about bringing our best to God's house. This should be the biggest moment Because we go, God, because of your richness, because of everything that you've done, because you gave it all, we're giving a portion and we're going to bring our best. We're going to shout you down, Pastor Pat. We're going to shout you down, Pastor Haley. We're going to shout this moment down. We are going to overwhelm the house with our best. That's what this means. Is Is that the tone? Like, I'm just being, like, can we just be honest? I'm like, I start talking about money, and everyone's like, (laughs) you know, I didn't know that this church, (sighs) I just expect that the lights and the staff and everything they do during the week and all the benevolent and activity and everything they do with the school district and the city, I just thought it happened for free. I didn't know that I needed to bring my best. Because a consumer heart is only after what profits them. And a consumed heart is compelled by passion for God's house. The first thing that my wife and I learned when God would urge us, give. That I had to erase out of my mind what's in it for me. Can I just tell you something? Nothing. I don't preach, I don't preach a message of like, man, if you just give a thousand, everyone right now, just give a thousand dollars. God's going to give you ten thousand dollars back. I don't preach this prosperity. I don't. Because we get the opportunity to be passionate about God's house and give from a currently prosperous place. So when I'm like, God, I'm going to give because I need you to make me prosperous, what I'm saying to God is, is that my current situation, circumstance, isn't profitable when it is, because it's enough. So I'll give if there's a take in return. These, this is some of the things that get said. Um, uh, what serves me best? Like, I bring, I, God, I'll bring my best as long as it serves me best. There's no caveats on this. Why, why, why do I say this? Because God gave his son Jesus with no promise of return. It says in Romans, while we were yet still completely flailing and floundering, sinners, God's like, I'm going to give my son. I'm going to do I'm going to give everything, give it all. Why? I'm going to give my best. I'm going to give my first. I'm going to lay it down not on what best serves me. Not because it's profitable. Well, what's the ROI? I don't understand. 
This is what I know. The longer we're part of a house, the more potential there is for an entitlement mentality um, at, when it comes toward giving. So this entitlement, like I'll give as long as there's something in return, t- take in return. <laughs> okay? Um, it's a prove to me type of, I'm entitled. I, 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 I mean, I'm part, right? So I'm the dad. Sometimes I get entitled in my home. My wife, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, will say to me at times, dude, just because you're the father and the husband of this home, you are not entitled to not be part of the home, part of the family. Wives, don't go elbowing your husband right now. Like, we talked about this last week. See, see what Pastor Pat said? Okay. The entitled consumer's heart becomes critical of God's house. Well, you know what they should do. They need to turn their lights down a little bit. And, you know, I don't, I don't really think, like, you know, when you pull into the parking lot, and they should have, and, and then when the coffee, and we should have, and, and you know, in the kids' ministry, and, they, and, and, and it's like lots of complaining from entitled people. You know what a complaint is? You're offering me a problem with zero solution. Do you know what a consumed heart says? I'm going to be the solution. Why? They celebrate what's going on in God's house by contributing. Entitled consumers, they just get critical. I get it. Maybe some of those things that you're critical about aren't happening because people aren't bringing their best into God's house. I'm just being real. Okay? And I love this celebration shown by contribution kills consumerism. Guys, we need to put consumerism on the chopping block. For a second here, take it out of the context of what I'm preaching about bringing into God's house. Can I just tell you personally in your life, celebration through contribution is going to kill the critical spirit that is potentially killing you right now. There are lots of people that are critical about society, critical about government, critical about nations, critical about people, critical about, okay? It's easy to be a critic because I can sit back and be a keyboard ninja and say whatever I want to say, but never celebrate what's going on by contributing and becoming part of it. I think the church should be the number one group of people that stands up and says, we are going to stand up, bring our best, show up, bring our best. We're going to celebrate by contributing. It's not time for us as a church to shrink back. It's time for us to show up. We want to bring our best. This, this, though, can be applied in every area of your life. Marriage. Celebrate by contributing. That's going to kill the critical nature that's killing your marriage. Business owner, same. Employee, same. Are you with me this morning? (laughs) Are we doing okay? All right. Profitable marketplace or passionate house? Jesus is after a passionate house that is consumed rather than a profitable house of consumers. Lastly, consumer hearts are fixed on circumstances. 
Consumer hearts are fixed on circumstances. Consumed hearts are fixed on Christ. In my life, I'm just, again, like, man, lots of circumstances going on. I almost died six and a half months ago. I woke up in a hospital, thought my world was just going great, thought I was doing great, thought I was bringing my best. And the Lord showed me, Pat, you, you bring your best, but there's some areas of your life that you only bring what best serves you. So everything that I'm actually preaching to you right now comes out of some personal time that I have had to spend with God over the last six and a half months. I'm with you. Maybe I'm actually in a worse spot than you. And the Lord to me is like, Pat, are you focused on your circumstances? I don't know what's going to, my wife and I, like, we don't know what's going to happen financially. We have, I have way more medical bills than I do income. But do you know what's funny? I have such a tremendous peace about it. And I realized, like, what can I do? What can you do to kill this consumer? I just want you to know something. This consumer heart is constantly at play, and we're at, we're at war. Consumed heart, consumer heart. And for every 10 steps we moved in consumed heart, we get pulled back. Consumer heart. This, okay, I'm just, you got to know this. It's a process. It takes time. I think it's a process to the day that I'm standing and I'm looking face-to-face with Jesus. I think I'm going to be fighting this battle, consumed versus consumer. Maybe you're a professional Christian. And you're like, nope, fully consumed, was consumed, am consumed, will always be. I'm just being honest with you. That's not me. Can anyone relate to what I'm saying? Come on. We're human. Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, there are witnesses, there are people that have gone before us that have dealt with this same thing. And they're cheering us on. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on what? Jesus not the circumstances. The champion, Jesus, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus reminds you of the truth that you are clothed in his richness rather rather than consumed by your circumstances. I've never overcome a problem or a circumstance by staying obsessed and focused on it to the point of worry. I've never done it. The richness of being covered by the blood of Jesus leaves me with this full assurance that I am provided for. Philippians 4.19, I'm going to wrap up with this. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in who? Christ Jesus. 
consumed hearts who are passionate for God's house have eyes that are fixed on Jesus. Do we have eyes that are fixed on Jesus? What has your focus been? Circumstances or Christ? I feel uncertainty and security. I feel unsafe. I feel unsatisfied. And, and my question to us today, all of us, is are we consumers or are we consumed? What is our focus on? Circumstances or Christ? I want you to know that God's original design for us is to live in the reality of assurance of his provision for us. That was his original design. That's what Satan got us to give over in that quick summarization that I gave you. I can bring my best because I'm consumed by God's best, the richness of Jesus. Which group do you most relate to? Consumer or consumed? Why don't you stand with me this morning as I wrap up? Which one of these groups that Jesus is addressing in his father's house, he's addressing consumers and he's addressing those that he's saying, my culture, Jesus is saying my culture, the culture of Jesus, the culture that we aim to create, curate in our environments here at Movement Church is an environment and a culture of being consumed. If I'm consumed, do I bring my best? If I'm consumed, do I have the peace from God's assurance of my provision? If I'm consumed, do I celebrate God's house by contributing? If I'm consumed, do I have a heart fixed on Jesus? Here's my activation for us. I love a good challenge. I would, I would like you to take account for where it is that you stand today in God's house. I'm a fan. I did this athletically when I trained for triathlon and I love this idea of 1% growth. Do you know why 1% growth? Because you can do anything one time. And so when I talk about bringing our best means our first fruits, which is 10%, some of you are like, dude, I, 10%, like maybe you're bringing 10% now. Maybe, maybe you give 5%. Maybe you give 1%. Maybe you give 35%. I don't know what that is. That's actually between you and the Lord. But what I'm saying to you this morning is I want us to accept the challenge of saying, God, no matter where we're at, we're going to move 1% closer. If you don't give to this house and you're part of this church family, 1%, that's your first step. And I think anybody can do something one time. If you're giving 8%, one more percent, nine percent. My wife and I were convicted by this. So even in our own life of, of giving faithfully to the church, in the midst of uncertainty, we actually just had an agreement. I feel like the Lord is telling us just write a check to the church. Why? I'm living in a time of uncertainty. Maybe you can relate, and I need the provision and the assurance of God in my life. 
It's not about the amount. It's about my heart. It's about Chandra's heart toward the uncertainty of what we're facing. I'm saying this not so that I can garner support. I'm saying this so that you understand that I'm with you. One more percent. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask the Lord, God, what is it you're asking me to do? And every week we have the opportunity in this moment of bringing our best that we have as a church family to remind us, that's right, this aligns my heart to God's house. This aligns my heart when I bring my best. And when we do this, can we bring one more percent? Let's pray. Lord, I know that you're consuming us over time. I know that in a perfect world, in an idealistic world, what we would do and what we would say is that we said yes to Jesus and our whole life was completely consumed from now to eternity. But the truth is that you're walking us through a journey in life. And right now, we may say, God, you, you, you have all of my heart. And we're just saying, God, show us the areas where we actually need to be consumed by you by one more percent. Why? Because this is a journey. This, this is something that happens over time. Let us be a house that is passionately consumed and it's shown by bringing our best as we continue to share our best with our community, cities, our church family. Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' powerful name, everybody said amen and amen.